0: Hey, cask chasers, we'll start the show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: Haida, how would you pronounce this? G L E N A L L A C H I E. Glen. <laughs> I pronounce that delicious. Or Glen Okay. Right? Single malt scotch whiskey. From Speyside. Okay. The distillery's been around since 1967, but only available as a single malt since 2018. Uh-huh. And the whiskeys are designed by Billy Walker. What? Yeah. Talk to me more. Yeah, I know, because you, you have no idea who Billy Walker is. No. But the Cast Chasers podcast fan base do. Okay. He was the gentleman behind Glendronach Distillery, Ben Ria, Glenglassa. I should be excited right you now. You should be. If you're a whiskey fan, you should be super excited. Okay. Big, fruity, heavy, sherried whiskeys, just oh. glorious stuff. Okay. Yep, glenallachie That's okay. how you pronounce it. Okay, Glenallachie. Right. Glenallachie. Okay. Impex Beverages. Yes. Guess what we are. Uh, I don't know. Proud sponsors of the Cast Chasers podcast. Right. Yes.
2: Hi, this is Greg Swartz, the director of the Water of Life film. Grab a dram and settle in. This is the Cast Chasers podcast.
3: Hallo, ich bin Udo Sonntag und ich hätte gern, dass ihr euch einen schönen Drum einschenkt und euch zurücklehnt, denn das ist jetzt der Cast Chasers Podcast.
4: Hey Katie, how are you?
5: Good, good. That how you feeling? Well, you know, pretty pretty sprightly these days. Yeah. You know, kind yeah. of over the the tired hump.
4: So I noticed something different about you. Yes. You whatever. cut your hair.
5: Ah, uh, that's true. I thought you were going to say you're pregnant, but we've already covered that. Yeah,
0: Bobby's not pregnant. Oh, you men, I got you. I'm actually you. showing. You, you, I'm not... You're showing more than she <laughs> yeah, is, to it's be a honest. COVID belly. <laughs> Bobby's eating for two.
5: It's all right. It's all right. We're all growing over this time. So, no, no, the hairdo, the hairdo is in. So we got, went for something a little bit more spunky. I like it. Lost my hippie locks, but that's okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Aaron, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing you well. Wanna, you wanna thank talk you. Talk about my hair
0: too. I it's lovely. It's fantastic. <laughs> I I had terrible hair this morning, so I put on a hat. So now it's I've got savage. a hat and then headphones over the hat, and I, I don't really know what's going on here. You're um,
5: down. Yeah, with a
0: down so, with a Dalmor pen I do have a Dalmor pin in there. Over yes, over here. I like. it I'm a big fan of that logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's cool good
5: well, I'm glad that uh, we're all looking our best, feeling our best, because memory serves. You guys had a great conversation with the one and only Jim McEwen. We did. Not too we long did. ago. Not it was
0: amazing. Long. It felt like it was like three minutes ago. No,
5: It's just because the words were lasting, I think.
0: I think that's what yep. it was. Yeah. So he I... called us ugly a lot. He did. He did. I don't know who to report that to, but mm. Barbara, we, we report that to his wife and she'll say, yeah, he, he does that.
5: Well, that's perfect because I think today we're catching up with some additional special guests who are really some of the biggest chroniclers of Jim's life, which is really exciting because to talk to the person is one thing to kind of get some perspective on the people he's inspired to help tell that story is another. So I am about to welcome onto our Lovely Cast Chasers podcast, Udo Sontag, the biographer Sir Jim, for Jim McEwen's uh, biography coming out soon. And also Greg Schwartz, the director of the Water of Life film that we actually got to host a live viewing of for Cast Chasers. So, welcome, guys. Very excited to have you. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for inviting me.
3: Hello from Germany.
5: <laughs> Hello.
0: Udo, between me and Katie, who pronounced your last name more correctly.
3: Well, um, I need an example. <laughs> Stop Stop uh,
0: how about you? Why, why, why don't you pronounce your last name for us? And then I'll just say that I said it right.
3: Sontag.
4: That's what I said.
3: I, what said, I, it said way, it. I said it way better. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. All right. I think
0: you both right. <laughs> both right. <write. laughs> <Both write>. Fantastic.
4: <laughs> I, have, I have in my notes Udo S, period. That's how I have it pronounced. <laughs> Bobby's like, I'm not even going to attempt
3: it. If it's easier for you, just call me Udo Sunday because Sontag's. Means Sunday. Ah. Ah. Each week I do have a names name a name <laughs> <laughs> That's
4: awesome. Oh, the there.
5: pile of presents must be insane.
4: <laughs> so what what time is it there, Udo? Because I know Greg woke up at like four thirty this morning to be here, which is insane. Um, I'm not sure what time it is there in Germany. Well,
3: uh, we have an afternoon at five o'clock p.m. Beautiful. And it's a decent. Uh, well, and I have a five o'clock drum in my hand. Beautiful.
4: That's the appropriate time, Greg. Is it still stupid early in the morning?
2: Yeah, it's eight o'clock now, just coming up on eight. But you know what? You know what? You know the side benefit of doing this this early is um, my wife had to take the kids to school without me. It's work. I didn't have to, honey. (laughs) Honey, it's work. I I didn't. I didn't have to shepherd the uh, my kindergartner into her school with just you know with all these COVID protocols. It's like running a gauntlet every day so
0: that's awesome i oh, mean it's a good uh, thing uh, nobody's recording this so that won't be embarrassing or come up in the future <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm just that's imagining
5: awesome. like the orange cone drop-off station that's already militant to begin with to drop your kids off and then to add those yeah. protocols in i just <laughs> you got to time yourself best time to get in and out
2: now, the good thing is my daughter likes it going to school so she, she doesn't fight about going so
4: that yeah my kids not so much no I don't even send them anymore. I'm like, if you guys don't want to, I'm just kidding. They have to, they have to go. That's how I, (laughs) that's how I survive. So you, so you two had the honor of, of, you know, following around Jim and uh, other distillers and other people in the industry. But, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about Jim because we just had him on. And, um, I, I feel like this might be safe to say he was kind of the, the flagship of the film in a way. Um, the pivot point, I guess is the best way. Um, I've talked to you, but Greg, we've talked a lot, um, and you know, we we had we had Brad on not too long ago. Um, I haven't read the book yet, Udo, but I will either a when it becomes an English version, or b I learn German, uh, one of the two, because I think it's only in German now, right?
3: It is uh, published in German right now, yeah. but uh, on June twenty fourth, it'll be available in English language. Perfect. Then I don't have to get Rosetta Stone. That's good.
4: My challenge to you, Bobby, is to learn German before it comes out in English. My grandfather was German, and he spoke German from time to time, and... That did nothing for me, so I oh, know okay. that I <laughs> so, won't be able to. um
0: anecdote that went absolutely nowhere. Yeah, 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 I appreciate yeah. that. Right. It, just,
4: it just cliff dropped there. Um, I still,
5: still want to hear you try and read maybe maybe just the first couple lines. Bobby Bird.
4: All I remember from him was that window sounds like window in German. That's it. For some reason, that's the only thing that's ever... St- How do you say window How do you say window?
0: German? It's got to be wrong.
4: How do you say window? <clears throat> Faith, though see
5: yep sounds just like window see there guys
4: maybe my grandfather was a liar
2: (laughs) (laughs) your grandfather just pretended to speak German yeah
4: like what are you saying he's like it's German grandpa's crazy that's what's happening he drank whiskey no he drank vodka actually so there you go anyway so you guys got the opportunity to follow Jim around and really experience you know this this um this passion this love this art form. I know there was a technical side of it, and in writing the book, I'm sure getting it all in there and getting the film, getting as much as you can. A lot of it from both point of views had to go to the editing floor, right? It had to get cut and dropped. Um, and from what I know about talking to you know authors and talking to people in film, sometimes that stuff goes on the floor that you wish could have stayed in it just can't because of you know continuity or whatever what was missed in the film what was missed in the book that you would off the top of your head a memory or a thought that you thought man i wish i could have put that in but it just for time's sake couldn't make it or for whatever reason couldn't make it in
2: uh well i mean we that's just the nature of filmmaking you know and we had we we really wanted to keep the film under 90 minutes and so we are actually doing an extended cut that's about 10 minutes longer oh, cool. right now that has a lot of the deleted scenes in it. There's the, the one scene that's built around Jim that, that we deleted, uh, which I hate, I hate having to delete it, but we share it all the time as a deleted scene. Cause it's great. Was, uh, Jim talking about, uh, recreating Port Charlotte and talking to the, the last known person to have tried the original Port Charlotte. Wow. And, uh, it's a very funny scene and, uh, it's a, it's a great story. Um, and you know that scene did not make it into the film just because it it just completely it was I think the very last thing we cut you know to get it under ninety minutes because it what happens is unfortunately we, we when we go on to especially uh, on regular television not streamers they don't care how long stuff is but like broadcast television has limits to how long things can be and you have to be under certain amounts and so <clears throat> we went back and forth and back I mean we shot an entire sequence about Spring Bank that's not even in the film. Uh, so, you know, that's, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll let Udo talk about the book for a second, but I'll say one thing that Udo and I would actually talk to each other about when he was interviewing or when he and Jim were writing together, Udo and I would talk and, and I would say, Oh, make sure Jim tells you this story or that story because mm-hmm. there's, I mean, you know, uh, there's so many wonderful, funny Jim McEwen stories that you know, that both of us are sort of librarians of those stories and kind of have a working knowledge and so you know I'd say we would talk to each other about like oh you got to get this story, you got to get that story yeah
3: uh, that was a beautiful cooperation with Greg and instead of the book which uh, instead of the film which has a, a time limit, a book doesn't have a time limit. I was told to to write roughly 200 pages and this is yeah. uh, so as you can see um, it's like a phone book. I don't have a limit and um, I do have the the story of poor Charlotte I do have it in the book so Greg please don't spoil it it's still in and, and it's it's really a funny story and I uh, I loved writing it and uh, write it down and I loved uh, reading it and <clears throat> When you ask what, what, uh, stories going uh, is missed. And then I think one chapter is really missing in the book, which I left out. And, uh, it's a story about healthiness on Isla because the, the, the Ilachs, the inhabitants of Isla, they do love eating Heinz salad sauce. They have got probably the most, uh, the biggest output in the world of, of Heinz, uh, salad sauce because not that they eat that much salad, but, uh, the bottle has a, a shape that fits in the bunghole. And, um, uh, uh, there could be some uh, story of uh, purchasing whiskey not the way you, the, you shouldn't. This I uh, better left out. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I think the people at Heinz would disagree. I think <laughs>
0: <laughs> nothing but good. They, they say there's no, no such thing as bad marketing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's Inventive I think there might be. I think we might have found it.
4: <laughs> I, I think in 50 plus years of Jim's you know career, there's there's more stories lost, unfortunately, than there are that can fit into a film or in a book. Uh, I've heard I've been lucky enough to be on a few Zoom calls with him and and um and and hear some of his stories and there's got to be so many more out there that's missed but i think what we can see i, I guess is the legacy uh you know the the booklatti the bowmore the 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 influence he has on in the whiskey community when you were visiting some of the other distilleries did you see that influence and it, it's kind of intertwined, right there's kind of a there's kind of a I guess a vein that kinds of run, runs through the Scotch Whiskey world where everybody has touched one another and kind of influenced the other person, specifically in Isla. Did you see that influence you, throughout?
2: You know, I'll tell you one way I saw it, not while we were shooting the film, but while we've been screening the film, uh, we I've, I've yet to meet these people in person, but we met uh, the people in Norway who own the world's northernmost distillery, it's above the Arctic Circle. Mm. And um, it's called Aurora Spirits Distillery. And, you know, they they reached out to us. They actually did a screening of the film for they have like a private whiskey club there because it's 600 miles above the Arctic Circle. Um, And they're great. And they are big, not just fans of Brooklady, but they're fans of Jim. And they've never met Jim. You know, they've been inspired by the sort of Brooklady ethos when they – The entire idea to start the distillery was born six years ago. They went to Isla just as whiskey fans and they actually met with Adam Hannett while they were there, not as, not a business meeting, just they went to visit the distillery. And, you know, they've, they've really kind of tried to apply a sort of similar approach and ethos to their distillery without ever having met Jim, you know, and, and I've actually said that to Jim before that, you know, he, he has now reached people that are now two or three people removed from him. You know that it's it's like sort of a musician whose music is you know reached a point where there's fans and musicians inspired that are two or three down the line.
5: From your guys' perspective, what was what was the moment or what was the story that kind of helped all of this click and helped you figure out how to take somebody who does have this larger than life legacy, um, both as an individual and within the whiskey industry, and figure out how to narrow it down so you could capture that, but also make it. Capture the story around him. Right. And do it in a way that's appealed to so many different people, even if they themselves haven't been as immersed in the whiskey industry themselves.
2: Well, I think for us, I mean, I think in a way, I mean, Udo, obviously Udo and Jim worked together on the book and they knew right away this what the parameters of the book was going to be. Uh, you know what I mean? They knew who it was about and what it was going But, you know, we were, we started out by shooting, uh, all over Scotland. We went to 16 distilleries and, and, you know, we knew, uh, our cinematographer, who you guys know, Brad, uh, Brad and I were the first two people on our team that, you know, I sat down with him and we went through distilleries we wanted to feature. And, and in a way, I don't want to sound like we were basing it on distilleries we were fans of, but it was the reasons we were fans of them. Like we liked what they did and how they did it, you know, and we liked that they were transparent. We liked that they were experimental. We liked that they were welcoming. Um, and then we started out kind of w- looking at all of them on an even keel. And then it just slowly became more and more apparent. At, and I don't mean while we were shooting. It did a little bit while we were shooting, but it also happened more in the prep when Brad and I – Brad has – this amazing, um, we call it his, uh, Dutch bathy in his basement. He's converted his basement into a whiskey lair. And, uh, it's, um, uh, and he and I were sitting with, we spent a couple of nights down there drinking and planning and making notes, which the notes are funny cause they're illegible. Um, <laughs> wh- saying, whiskey like is not, <laughs> whiskey does not help your handwriting. I will tell you that. Um, and my handwriting is pretty crap to begin with. So, but, but, you know, we, we, we wanted a story that was inspiring. And we wanted a story that was about whiskey, but it was about people. It was inspiring. And then my mother-in-law, for example, is the person I always reference. My mother-in-law does not drink. And I wanted to tell a story that she would like as much as someone who who did drink, you know? um And, and, and she, she really did enjoy it very much. I mean, she's seen the film a couple of times. Um, You know, she's sort of been a forced audience, I think a few times, but, but I do think she liked it, you know, and that that was something we all we knew from the get go. And, you know, there's a couple of films that we've always kind of used as a touchstone creatively. Um, there's the Um, You know, the Chef's Table series on Netflix, which was all kind of grew out of the film Zero Dreams of Sushi. And what they did is that film isn't about sushi. It's about the world's most respected sushi chef and about what makes him that and what makes him. You know, I think when they made that film, I think he was he was in his, I think, late eighties and he was still running his restaurant and training his sons to take over for him. And, you know, and the story was much more dramatic and personal and it was about sushi, you know, and we were actually quite lucky, uh, in our cases that we our film, one of our two editors on the film is actually one of the editors from the chef's table. Like we reached out to the post-production team from them and, and said, you know, this is the kind of storytelling we want to do. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a, a lot of, a lot of documentaries, I think, can be a little bit just talking heads. And we didn't want to be talking heads. We wanted it to be dramatic and visual and big. And, and, and yes, w- we all live in Los Angeles, but we don't really think of ourselves as Hollywood filmmakers. We, we are independent filmmakers, but we wanted to bring a sort of a Hollywood sensibility to it. We weren't afraid to get cinematic. We weren't afraid to get big. We weren't afraid to bust out the drone. You know, we, uh, I don't know if you guys have met Alphonse yet, our drone pilot, but we actually rented a separate car for him from the rest of the crew and he would have a different list every day to go what he was going to do he would leave every day on his own shot list to go shoot different things because we were sitting inside interviewing people so he was outside and that's why alphonse we our joke on our crew is that we call him the outdoor whiskey hmm. um the uh you don't it, it's not a whiskey meant to be drunk inside he's an outdoor whiskey uh, so uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm 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 excited and I'm rambling now. So uh, no, no, I'll, that's perfect. You know, there's uh,
5: lots to ramble about and, and well deserved. Yeah,
4: one of the things I loved about the film there was a there's there's so much honesty in it. Towards the end, there's this conversation with Mark uh, Rainier about the conflict between selling Broglie to you know a larger company and you know Jim's decision to do that and then you know Mark's opinion on that and how they were vastly different. I thought that was, I don't want to use uncomfortable in a little way, but also important and also very honest. And I'm, I'm happy you captured that because I think it really showed the direction and the passion, but yet also the importance of, you know, going big or staying small and things like that.
2: Uh, well, thank you. Um uh, You know, I, that was important to us, you know, and it's funny because we actually interviewed, if you look carefully when you watch the film, if you look really carefully, you can see Mark is in different clothes because w- what that is is we actually interviewed him two different times. We went and interviewed him once at the Waterford Distillery. We got back to L.A. and then kind of realized, okay, we didn't quite tell part of the story as much as we wanted. So we had to assemble a crew in Edinburgh where Mark splits his time between Isla and Edinburgh and, and, go do another interview with him in Edinburgh um, because we really wanted to kind of round that picture out. We thought it was, I, frankly, I, you know, I, I mean, in the Brook Lottie story, the Brook Lottie part of the story, Mark is every bit as important as Jim is, you know, there, yeah. you, know, um, you know, one was the owner of the team and one was the star athlete on the team. But, you know, there, mm. it's, it, there's a synergy there, I think, you know.
0: Udo, could you talk just a little bit about, I guess, what it was like to approach Jim about writing a book about Jim. What was his reaction? Was he hesitant? What, what was that interaction
3: like? Um, how to say, um, when we started uh, at the, I would say, March 2020 to work on the book, it started all in, in Jim's living room. And um, there I asked him the questions of questions. I made a kind of proposal <laughs> and said, if you would like to make a book with me about some stories. I was told uh, I was asked by a publishing company to collect stories of Jim. And that was the intention. And uh, when I asked him uh, if he would like to do this, he instantly said yes. And then two weeks uh, later we we started uh, doing uh, video conferences and uh, and I made interviews. I've got plenty of interviews and um and this was the start of a kind of journey I would say. And, uh, throughout this journey, uh, the idea came up that it'll be his autobiography. Um, and so what we had to do was we had to, uh, we had to look for, for his, for his, uh, childhood. We had to look for his, um, times in school and all that stuff that it's not, uh, shown in the film and so you you got to know to Jim. You know that Jim is a very emotional person, and what makes Jim so so special is that he doesn't play a role. Means, uh, as you have um, as you have seen him uh, in the movie, as you have seen him in, in in your interview, uh, that is Jim absolutely, and uh, he yeah he doesn't play a role. He is so authentic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, going back in the own biography, uh, for Jim means he re, he relives that situation. And so, uh, it became very emotional and there were, uh, there were parts in, in, in his, um, biography that were not so, uh, how to say, um, not, not so nice. He wasn't born with a golden spoon in the mouth, as we say. Mm-hmm. He had a really tough, uh, childhood uh tough when i say i do mean uh that he grew up just after the war and uh growing up on an island without a roll-on roll-off ferry mm. so uh he he used to, to to grow up in a in a very special community with all pros and cons with with all good things and on all bad things and there came also some some uh memories back which uh maybe we're not uh, planned in that. And, and so, um, Jim relived his his life again, with all the emotions and we as life is, we went through the, the ups and downs. And um, you can see sometimes when when uh, Jim's really touched by emotion. Uh, for example, when we spoke about Duncan McGilvery, mm. who passed away, while we uh, worked on this book and uh, that was something that uh, really had a big uh, impact on the on on the work together we had a, a little break by then because they were he was so so sad just about and and um, this is the result we we have now uh, is a book that is not uh, a book that explains how whiskey is made or, or which distillery made this and this and this. No, it's a actually a book about an incredible person, incredible character, a book about life, a book about spirituality, I would, I would say, uh, it's a book of philosophy, maybe, and uh book of joy, book of sadness, book of emotions.
0: Hey Chasers, Aaron here. I wanted to talk about our sponsor, Wilderness Trail Distillery. If you want a great whiskey without the fake legends and made-up history, try some Wilderness Trail Fine Kentucky Bourbon. It's made by master distiller Shane Baker and fermentation expert Pat Heist, who you've heard on the podcast, at their distillery in Danville, Kentucky. They make uh, weeded bourbon, a high rye bourbon, and a Kentucky-grown rye whiskey. Wilderness Trail is offered in -in bottled-in-bond or cask strength. It's non-chill filtered, and the mash bill is on the side of every bottle, so you know what you're buying. This is real information. Not some magical recipe or who Shane's great-great-grandpa is. I'm telling you, keep an eye out for Wilderness Trail in your favorite store. If you happen to see a barrel pick or special release of Wilderness Trail on the shelf at your store, grab it. It's not going to last long. If you want more information, check them out online at WildernessTrailDistillery.com.
5: Udo, when you were reliving all of those stories with Jim and, you know, digging into things that we haven't seen in movies or interviews, you know, all all the personal history there... Was there a point where walking through all these memories with him, he kind of realized a different perspective that maybe he hadn't arrived at before. Just, I mean, after the life that he's lived to kind of look back at some of those beginnings, did you guys have a moment like that?
1: Uh,
3: yeah. I, I recently mentioned that, um, that, uh, he discovered new facilities of of uh, seeing people uh, from the way back, as he as he um, had the view on the people when he when he was living with them.
5: Gotcha. For for
3: instance, uh, the way he um, he lived, uh, the way he looked at his colleagues at Bowmore in those days, is not the the way he he looks at those colleagues now. And, uh, there is so much, uh, admiring to them now and, and so much, um, uh, a glint in the eyes, I would say, when, when he talks about them mm-hmm. and, and, those glory days. That's, that's how he called them. And, um, the way he, he, he talks about, uh, the people, um, is really, well it's it's a, it's a special kind of fascinating. There is one episode for instance uh, where he describes uh, his old uh, the old manager of Bowmore who gave him the chance actually to start at Bowmore. And um his name was James McCall. And um he he was telling uh, well, uh he was telling her that uh, I have now a little lack of, of the English words to describe these emotions. Um, he was, uh, he was telling that he is a such a, a glorious man, although it was just his boss. Mm. Uh, and his boss uh, nearly sacked him because he ruined uh, a carpet. Uh, in the very first beginning. Oh, so the career of Jim McEwan could have been very short. <laughs> Can you imagine? Over a
5: carpet spill. Can you imagine?
3: Uh, his, his job was uh, to light up the, the chimney and he was absolutely exactly told how to do it. But as a, a 15 and 16 year old lad, what did he do? He take a shovel and, and, and put some burning, uh, peat and walked through the office and he dropped down a burning peat and it dropped on the floor. <laughs> And he, uh, put the, the, the burning peat in the oven or in, in, in the chimney. And, but there was that big hole, that really big <laughs> hole in the carpet. And, uh, and he said, oh, shit, uh, the, the boss is gonna come. And, uh, so what did he do? He tried to, uh, to cover this hole, um, with a desk, just <laughs> putting the desk over it and uh, doing like... I'm so, imagining uh, like the middle I of the floor,
5: just <laughs> let's just move this here. No one will notice.
3: And then he, he ran out, uh, but he opened the window because it was smelly, of course. <laughs> <It was burning laughs> and um, w- what happened actually was uh, that uh, Jim was told to, to return and uh, the boss said, do you have to tell me something? Uh, and Jim said, no, as probably most of us would have done. And, uh, I think in this moment, Jim must have been very much scared of his boss.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But, um, when he looked back on this episode, he said he learned one of the most important things of his life. Whenever you did, uh, whenever you did a mistake, then be honest and tell this. And the boss told him, "Well, uh, you haven't been honest to me, and uh, usually I should sack you, but uh, you will pay this carpet because it's, it's from seventy seventy nine when the distillery was uh, oh my made, God. and and then." Jim turned white, of course, but uh, it was pure lies, the, the, the right. color.
0: And he's still paying it off today. Today.
4: To this day. That's why he keeps That's asking it. for paychecks.
3: Right. 10 pounds, 10 pounds, right? But, uh, Jim absolutely wanted to have the job as a Cooper. Absolutely. And so he accepted this. Uh, um, this was his boss said. And um, so now James McCall was really one of his lifetime heroes. I've I've gotten to chat Please. with
4: Jim twice. Uh, we interviewed him, of course, and then on a, on a previous time, I, I got to talk to him. My regret both times is not digging more into the Cooper mm. um, situation. And we, thanks to Greg, we actually had an interview with a Cooper Shug. Um, it's one of my favorite interviews. It's I find Cooperage the idea of the barrel and how important the barrel is to be so underrated and, and important. But um, I have a question for both both of you and. You talked, Udo. You said earlier the philosophy, and that's kind of the direction I want to go here. There are amazing people, legends in the whiskey community, not just Scotch all over. Um, Sinjo Tor- Tori, um, you know, Peggy No Stevens, um, Fred, St- you know, Fred No, um, Jim Swan. There's, there's these names in the industry that are just kind of, if you had a wall of legends, you'd put them on there. I know the my opinion, but I want to hear yours because, besides his wife and family, I think you guys have been the most invested. Why Jim? Why is Jim on this wall? Why does he, where is his place and why, in your opinion?
2: You know, um, I'll say it's it's one of the things I've just recently kind of, you know, grokked this in my brain, The the two pieces connected in my brain just a couple weeks ago. It's easy to forget. Jim is so charismatic and and outspoken and funny and friendly. It's easy to forget that he's a genius whiskey maker. Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, it, and it's you can easily forget that, you know. Um, and the two things are not. You could be one without the other. There's plenty of people that are one or two of those things, but uh, you know the, the, the you know um, uh we we it feature in the film David Stewart at Balvenie. Um, you know, and David Stewart's. A wonderfully friendly, personable guy, but he's, he's not comfortable the way Jim is, you know, being this sort of guy on stage telling a big story. He's a much, he's, you know, much more of a soft spoken. He's much more comfortable probably alone in the samples room than he is on a stage. And I, and I think Jim is just both of those things, you know, um, David Stewart's clearly every bit as accomplished as Jim is. Um, but, uh, it, you know, his personality is just so different. So I, I, I think that is a, a, a big difference maker for us. Uh, you know, the, the, from a cinematic standpoint,
5: kind of that he brought the the biggest pieces of that larger than life personality and aspect to the industry and kind of just personified it. It sounds like, well, and it came across
2: that well, way and, too. He, <laughs> and I, and I think he channeled it for the, to help whiskey. You know, he didn't just channel it to, to help himself. He didn't, you know, he, it's funny. I, I, I I've said this story before. I know I've told Udo this story before when we were in Australia, uh, after the big launch of the, they ran Spirit for the first time, they had a big party. We filmed the party. We we got in the I don't know if you've seen the photograph that's on our label. Well, yeah, Bobby, I know you have a bottle of it. The bottle, the photo that's that made the label for the bottle we did. is just one of the coolest photos of Jim ever, and I, it's just a testament to Alphonse being an incredibly talented guy. But right after that, Jim and I were chatting. We were no longer recording. The cameras were put away, and he said to me, "When I was a Cooper." I always looked up to the older Coopers because they would stand around and tell funny stories while they were were coopering barrels, and they were so funny. And he said that's what I wanted with my life, and it never really happened. And I and I said I almost said this <laughs> to, to, to Jim, and I said I, and I said, don't you realize that you just made the world your cooperage? I mean, and I actually don't think he realized it. I mean, he he wanted to be the funny guy that made the three other guys laugh, and I was like, but you just do that writ large yeah you know, like on a huge he's
0: stage. hilarious you do that in movies now yeah. like the, <laughs> you do that in <laughs> movies to millions of people
4: <laughs> so so udo to toss it to you i mean and i mean this rhetorically of course why is jim worth writing a book about
3: i think um well if there wouldn't be a jim Mike you and we wouldn't have single malt. it's mm. as simple as that
4: bold that's bold. When Jim,
3: when Jim, uh, when Jim uh, I said, well, I would say, climbed up this, the uh, the stage, everybody was drinking uh, blended whiskey. The percentage of selling of of single malt was one or two percent, something like that. Uh, but he brought the the message of of single malt to the world, and he did it without taking himself as a person too serious. He always, uh, set, hit, um, set the, the spot on Scotland, on whiskey in general, uh, on, on Isla, not to himself. But, uh, with Jim, you, you, um, have a person which you don't find very often. Uh, he lives his life with, with a, with a headline saying, do it with passion or leave it. And, uh, I, I'm sure when, when you have to, when when you have contact with him you have instantly that experience that this man is a is a passion on two two legs and whatever he does he does really with passion and and that is something that is really worth telling and uh, for me uh, he was a kind of hero I've been doing whiskey tastings for ages and I have always been uh, telling about him and his whiskey and uh, the way he does whiskey, because he's a sort of, let's say, Captain James T. Kirk. <laughs> he went in the whiskey world where no one has gone before. And, um, by, by knowing this, I, I was really lucky and I, I was really, uh, privileged, I would say to, uh, to spend a very intensive year with him working on that book. And I found, uh, a, really a true friend in him. And that is, uh, also something very, very uh, special, and very exciting. But if you if you ask why should it be on on that on that list? Look what he has done. He brought the single mall to the world. He run the Bowmore distillery. He was the ambassador of Isla. Uh, he He made a, a a ruin to a glorious uh, uh, distillery, and we're talking about Bruglady. And uh, he made that one distillery is not just a, a one trick horse. He made a beautiful whiskey, which isn't peated at all. He does Port Charlotte, but not the way the other Islay distilleries does. He does a, a very special way of of distilling, low and slow to get the very fine flavors in the bottle. And what did he do as well? He made it, he created the most peated, smokiest whiskey that there is on the planet. He was told that the Nyla whiskey can't be higher than 80 parts per million, <laughs> uh, 50 parts per million. But uh, then he said, well, but we did one with with 80 parts per million. It's called Octomore." What did he do else? He, he created the distillery, Artner he designed the shape of of the stills he he designed the way of, of of doing it and uh, i think there he's the most talented uh whiskey maker in the world i would say because he started as a cooper and he ended up well and he didn't end it up he he ended his career up by having uh built ardnoho or having designed ardnoho and he has inspired so many people and when I was working on the book, I had lots of interviews with other uh people from the whiskey industry like like Greg told um uh, and I had also these guys from Australia there and when when they heard the name Jim McEwan, the eyes went up and 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 the smile came up he's so uh you called him charismatic i would uh, say uh he's so um inspiring. And, and he gives so much uh, enthusiasm, and he's so good in, in, in giving people a chance. For for instance, I have never, ever written a book before. This is my very first book. <laughs> it's a pretty hefty first
5: attempt. I like it. Uh,
3: and uh, about one and a half years ago, I've never had the idea of, of, of writing a book. Uh, but um, Jim said that there are no coincidences. In the world, um, it maybe uh, in, in his intention, this had to be done by me. And he's very good in giving people a chance that never have done anything before. Take a look at Adam Hannett. Take a look at Alan Logan. Alan was a painter man. Now he's the manager in Berlati. And, uh, Adam was a tour guide. And now he, he's, he's the, well, he's, um, he
0: followed Jim. He's it, yeah, you know. absolutely. So, uh, Udo, you, 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 brought up something that I'd like for one or both of you to touch on real quick. Ardneho. Um, yeah. we uh, so, sort of like the, um, one of the last lasting legacies of, of Jim, um, dig into for, cause we've sort of just referenced it in passing on our, on our podcast, on the site, whatever. Mm-hmm. um, dig in just a little, what, what, for those that don't know, what is Ardnehoe and how does it relate to Jim?
3: Ardnehoe is a distillery, uh, which was built quite, um, quite just a few years ago. Um, I think it was 2017. They started correct. Correct me if I'm wrong.
2: No, that's right. Yeah.
3: and uh, the very first drops of Ardnehoe came out of the still in, uh, end of October, beginning of November, 2018. And, um, Greg, you were there when the first drops came out. Was
2: it right? I, I, I tasted the very first new make on the first distillate of the first
3: spirit. Wow. (laughs) And, and I was, I was with, uh, some guys, um, uh, at the distillery when maybe one, three, two, uh, two or three days later. Uh, maybe we have met on the island because Jim told me uh, that uh, I was also amongst the first 50 people to taste that. And uh, Ardner Ho is a distillery by by Stuart Lang. And um, he asked Jim if he could imagine to um, direct the, the building of this distillery. He didn't ask him to be the the head distiller or whatever. But, <clears throat> but, um, Jim should have, uh, should tell how they should build it. And Jim first had the idea to create also a, a smoky one, typical Isla one, but he wanted to, uh, to create a, um, specific thing. He didn't want to copy Brohladi or Lefroygo or Artbego or whatever. He wanted to create something new. And so he made up his mind and, and, uh, thinking of, how to realize and, and what he made was building, uh, pot stills with the longest line arm that there are in the whole wide world. So the spirit has to go through the, the highest copper contact and copper contact, uh, means that there are, uh, many, many fruit flavors in, in the spirit itself. And it's, um, and what it, uh, what he also did was, um, that he, um, that uh, the, the evaporation condense in a, um, uh, I'm looking for the English words in a warm tub. Warm tub which yeah. is quite, quite unique. So it slows down very, very gentle. It's like barbecue. Mm.
1: When
3: you do, when you do a steak, a real big ribeye steak, you need lots of heat. You have to, take it on 800 degrees and turn it off and then it's fine but if you do a a, a pulled pork you need to do it low and slow for mm-hmm. for hours and hours and hours and then it's tender you can take your teeth out and you can chew it without. <laughs> <laughs> and what uh when's that book coming you- out <laughs> <laughs> What Jim <laughs> was uh he he made such a such a slow uh, uh destillation that the result of this uh and I, I think we don't tell a secret, uh Greg, you had it in your mouth, I had it in my mouth. Uh it's such a beautiful fruity new make. And if you think of what will be there in the next maybe ten years, and when you pour uh, out the bung of a cask and and, and pour yourself a drum of this this must be paradise. And this is not a paradise by accident because this idea of, of liquid paradise has been in the head of Jim before. Mm-hmm. He has seen the spirit before it was, before it was one brick on the other. And that is why he's so genius. You know, um,
2: I will tell you a quick anecdote about that. That's why I picked this up. So this is a Port Charlotte 10 year old. This was released while the, right around the exact same time that the, um, Ardnaho ran new make for the first time. And Adam Hannah I asked Adam about if he had tried new make from Ardnaho yet, because it was literally like the day after they'd run spirit. And he said, no, I haven't, but I've, I've heard lots of people talking about it on the Island. This was like the second day. And he said, I spent the last year confident that this whiskey was going to be a world beating whiskey. But I realized I was reminded today that Jim is still out there making whiskey (laughs) and you always have to just keep upping your game and upping your game and upping your game. Because in essence, I mean, he was just being anecdotal, but in essence he was then competing with Jim. I mean, Ardnell hasn't even released a whiskey yet, but at the same time, it's that mindset that there's, you know, it's not just Jim. There's dozens and dozens of other people that are making great whiskeys, but you know, uh, he, you can't get complacent, you know? Um, and, it's. I, I just. Thought, I thought it was an interesting. Adam is always very eloquent and humble in his respect for Jim, and and not just in a random way saying I respect him a lot. He he will give you very specific examples of how that manifests, and I always remember that I'm talking about the Port Charlotte ten year old and um, you know, uh, I I. Uh, it's interesting that with Arnaho I always felt like, you know, um. Let's face it, Jim's, the band, the band that Jim is going to be remembered for for the rest of his life is Brooklady. Sure. You know, that's, that's the first, that's the first thing he'll always be remembered for. But it was like, it, it was almost like a musician. Who had a couple of really great creative ideas in a drawer that he hadn't yet had experimented with or explored. And then all of a sudden, you know, the other, the other analogy I always compare to is, is golf course design. You know, now you have like, you'll have re- retired golfers who go design a course. Well, this was Jim no longer golfing. He was designing the course. I love that. Um, yeah. He was like, oh, worm, no one, no one does worm tubs on Isla. This, let's make this huge line arm. Let's do this. Let's, let's make the, the spear. And, and the good thing with, with Hunter Lang owning it, was they weren't like a scrappy startup where they had to worry about paying their bills every day. They could do low and slow. They could let the, they don't have to release the whiskey the day after it turns three years old. They could wait, you know, they, now it's been, you know, longer. And I think, I think they are saying five years. Uh, at least they were. Uh, I, but I honestly don't know. So, you know, it was, it was really like. All these sort of like, like I just imagine Jim has like a drawer full of graph paper with ideas on it that he never got to do before, and he was like, "Here it is," and he like showed up at Ardenho with his list of stuff. Like, Let's do this and this and this.
0: Well, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, head distillers, distillery managers, uh, they they all come and go, and I mean, every everything come, comes and goes to a certain point, but as long as that as long as the things that he designed in that distillery and the ideas he came up with in Ardnaho are functioning, that's a piece of gem that we're going to be able to latch onto for years and years and years and years and years years to come. And I just always thought that was that I just always thought that was beautiful. So I'm, I'm really glad Udo that you went into sort of the specifics there. And I'm really jealous of you, Greg, that you got to taste the first new make.
4: Uh, As we, as we wrap it up, um, I got the signal from our director that we need to shut up now. Um, of you know,
5: <laughs> will be here all day with you guys. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I, I could talk for um,
4: ever. Honestly, I,
2: I do. I do have something I need to tell you before you before we wrap it up, though. I've Uh-oh. been saving this for you guys, especially.
4: Say it, heartbeat. Say it.
2: No, no, no. You'll like it. It's about Shug.
4: Oh. Um, oh. Shug. Awesome.
2: So, uh, so you know, no, uh, we did an advanced screening of the film in Glasgow in November 2019, and Shug was there, and Jim was there. Uh, Jim flew over from Island to go to the at screening and I introduced the two of them in the lobby of the movie theater beforehand. And, uh, one of the things that really stuck with me is, and it's funny, I know Bobby, you and I have spoken about this before, that my father was a Marine. Mm. And I've noticed something about my dad growing up. My dad never ever said, I used to be a Marine. He was a Marine, period. Right. The rest of his life. I mean, he got, he was discharged from the Marine Corps when he was 21 years old, but he was a Marine until he died. Yeah. Coopers are the same way. Jim, Shug said to him, "Jim, I, I you know, I know you're a Cooper. I'm a Cooper too. My name is Shug." And they shook hands and Jim and then they started, you know, talking Cooper talk for a few minutes. And then of course, Jim being Jim said, "I notice we also both have a chin dimple. Um, do you know who your father is?" <laughs> um, but it, you know, it's it's funny cuz Jim talks about coopering not as something in his past. I mean, I, I Udo maybe you know. I I bet you Jim hasn't raised a barrel in 20 years you know um but but because of the insanely intense apprenticeship that they serve they're coopers for the rest of their lives
5: that just speaks volumes cool to the, the, the work and i mean just the the imprint that you can have on it from that perspective and that was one of the first episodes that i actually did with bobby and aaron and that one will always stick out to me because you know i'm still learning so much about the technical process and and the people that go into making this craft and you know, the conversation with Shrug just captured so many of that or so many of those aspects and just his personality, right? Just shown through as kind of <laughs> here. Here's your introduction to the world of whiskey making. And it's been a ride since then. So that's awesome for him. You yeah. know.
0: Real quick, right before we go, um, from each of you, is there anything specific you want to promote? Anything specific that's what coming could, out? What could they possibly want to promote? Mm. Uh, nothing. There's nothing <laughs> at all. All right, guys, take care. <laughs> anything specific you guys want to promote? Uh, Udo, I'll have you go first, and then Greg from you. And if you want to say where people can follow you on social media, you can do that as well
3: so I'm very proud and I'm very happy to to tell you that Jim's biography will also appear in uh, in the English version not only in the German version uh, on june the twenty fourth and in the states you can uh, purchase one copy of this uh book which i I truly recommend it's called a Journeyman's Journey. And you can uh, buy it at uh, Greg's website, which is wateroflifefilm.com. Um Just uh, you can pre-order it and, and then it'll be shipped to you straight when when, when you ordered it. And we are talking about a 488 pages book with uh, lots of story of Jim with very much emotion with uh, a Jim you you might know already and with lots of facets you haven't heard of jim this i can assure and i wish you all uh very much fun with that book and uh, i hope you like it thank you thanks udo
0: greg what you got
3: aside from i, I, I also
0: mean, i want to bring up real quick uh greg is wearing a Dramfine podcast t-shirt right now um they're friends of <laughs> ours we're, <at>, we're uh <laughs> we we know the the girls from dram fine and I I, I, I saw him walking I, is he wearing a dram fine t-shirt yeah. so I just wanted to bring that up that you're <laughs> representing over there all right great podcast. where, where, can, pe- where yeah. can people follow you what do you got coming up
2: yeah I, you know so um we're still doing loads and loads of online events um where' what we've been trying to do is pair the film up with a lot of special one-off things to make each each different of screening special. Um, I don't have a specific thing to announce right now because we're doing so many of them, but all of them are listed at all of our social media, which is always water of life film. We have a Facebook group uh, which is friends with water of life film, uh, which is my personal playground to um, uh, have lots of fun and you know share stuff. but also, you know, are uh, also our website waterflightfilm.com always lists our special events coming up we're we are slowly it's funny to say this we're slowly shifting a little bit towards Asia we're going to do a lot of events in Asia in Australia in Japan and Singapore but when I say that I'm still going to be sitting in this same chair in this same room in Los Angeles with the same time t-shirt with the same guitar behind yeah. you please <laughs> the <laughs> 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 <laughs>
5: weird hours of the day to do all these events
2: <laughs> but uh yeah anyway um we have a loads of these things coming up uh the biggest ones we're doing we're doing before this will air so you know um uh but uh right now but i'm sure that they'll be replaced with other big ones uh you know very soon and i will say this too i'd like to say is people keep asking us when it's going to be streaming on one of the main streamers uh we're looking at november uh, the truth is we we don't want to stop doing what we're doing now because it's still we're still finding our audience and we're still, you know, doing pretty well doing it. And, you know, um, I'm hoping if the world allows, I'll be able to go to Japan in November for some big events we're going to do there. Um, and, uh, you know, but right now, I'd say just following us generally on social media would be awesome because that's that's where everything will get announced. And, you know, we also I will say this. I can't get specific yet, but I um I will say that we are going to be releasing a couple more whiskeys that are sort of designed to pair with the film. Um, I know, you know, lots of people have, you know, tried uh, uh, my bottle, by the way, had the leak. I don't know yeah. what's wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> Leaks right Angel's into the chair.
0: glass. <laughs> Terrible problem. Every single time.
2: Uh, but there will be more of those as well. Um, uh, hopefully we'll be announcing them in the next two weeks, but I just, I'm not sure yet. We're lots of moving parts and frankly, <laughs> I just found out that a bunch of our stuff was – a bunch of tubes that we got uh, were delayed in the Suez Canal. Oh, when, that, no. when the ship got stuck there the other week, yeah. we had uh, – the, the we, we just sold kits that are wooden boxes, and the wooden boxes got delayed in the Suez Canal. So, um, you know, everything is just so slow right now.
0: Oh, man.
2: Um, anyway, that's it. Thank you. Um, thank you, guys. This has yeah, been well, fun.
5: All right, guys, that was Udo Sontag, co-author of Jim McEwen's biography, A Journeyman's Journey, and Greg Schwartz from the Water of Life film. Make sure that until the next podcast episode comes out, you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cast Chasers. Check out our swag shop. We actually have two now for official Cast Chasers merch. And if you still haven't had enough of the podcast, check out the growing library of episodes and show notes at castchasers.org. And until the next time you settle in, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase.
1: Exactly. All right. All right, cool. After a few whiskeys, you can move anything. That's, that's true. true. That's oh, true. That's and that's true. then after a
0: few more, you can't move anything yeah. anymore. There's a balance. <laughs> yeah, so-
1: after a few
3: whiskeys more, after another few whiskeys, everything starts moving anyway. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and write that sound clip down
5: because
4: <laughs> that's a
3: keep, That's a keeper. Put it on a T-shirt.
5: That's
3: hello. This is Udo Sontag, and together with Jim McEwen, I wrote his biography called "A Journeyman's Journey." And pour yourself and settle in. This is Cast Chasers Drum uh, podcast Shit. So we'll use the German one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry.